0: And welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate, Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm John McFarlane and today I'm joined by Gaby McKay. On the pod today, we will look at the Celtic bid for David Turnbull of Motherwell. We'll discuss what implications that has for his potential future Celtic teammates. Players like Tom Rogic, Callum McGregor and of course, Olivier Cham. In more news coming out of Parkhead, we'll look at Christopher Julian, a Toulouse centre-half who's 6'5", who has been linked once again with a £10 million move to Parkhead. And we'll look back at Ian Maxwell's interviews yesterday, a number of talking points coming out of those, including calling Rod Petrie and Mike Mulraney the raging bull and charging rhino of the SFA. Gaby, I don't know why I put all that uh, emphasis in my voice there. It was slightly weird. Yeah, I, I liked it. It was exciting. I was going for the sort of um, trailer for a Star Wars movie. Yeah, there. I
1: think if people are on the commute home, the lift. <laughs> a we jump there?
0: <laughs> right. Okay. David Turnbull. Now we've talked a lot about this player. Um, so we'll, what we want to really do is talk about the implications his move will have. There's a few people talking about him as a potential replacement for Scott Brown, but he's not really that kind of player. If you look at the statistics, as we've done today, if you look at the facts and figures uh, that were on Modern football, the the Scottish football website that, that deals in analytics and statistics, you can see a lot of stuff there that points to the fact he's a creative midfielder, isn't he?
1: Yeah, he's a he's obviously a more attacking player. I say I think some people have perhaps prematurely compared him to Michael Balak, But, you know, he's a guy who likes to get forward and score goals. And I think it's fair to say that Scott Brown is not a guy who likes to get forward and score goals. So no, he's definitely not a replacement for Scott Brown. You'd imagine the idea is that he'd be a replacement for Olivier and Cham if he goes. But if you look at where he plays, he does tend to kind of drift into that sort of left area where McGregor likes to go. So it'll be interesting to see how they manage to fit him into that midfield. Does he play a more... Does do he move McGregor a bit more central and let turn play left? Or does he put him more uh, further forward, wherein Cham might play? Or does he indeed not get in the team straight away and have to kind of work his way in there? You don't think there's any way that Celtic could stick this young lad? He's only 19 out on loan, do you? Is it too much money for that? Yeah, I'm not sure. You, if, if you're going to pay that amount of money for a player, would you immediately send him out on loan? I mean, you could argue they'd be well-served maybe sending him back to Motherwell for a year, but would they have paid this amount of money? Would they have paid £3 million if they were just going to send him straight back to Motherwell? Would Motherwell have released a statement saying they'd accepted a bid without mentioning that there was a possibility of him coming back on loan? So no, I think if you're paying that kind of money, he's going to be in the squad. You can see why he's been a really impressive player this season. He's only 19. You'd think he's only going to get better playing with better players. You'd think that would improve him as long as he gets the game time he needs. So no, I can't see him going out on loan. I think he, he is there to stay or at least they'll certainly give him I'd imagine the first six months of the season to try and break into the team and then maybe you look at a loan move like kind of how they did with Lewis Morgan last season he came in from St Mirren he had the first six months he had a kind of few cameo appearances and then he got sent out on loan in January so you'd maybe see a bit of that
0: We touched on Callum McGregor Olivier Ncham and Tom Rogic uh, being in that sort of forward attacking area for Celtic I know Ncham sometimes plays a little
1: bit deeper do you think Lennon will now look to get rid of one of those well, it certainly looks like Incham is going to be on his way. He, I think, he certainly wants to be on his way. He's given every indication. It looked like he very much had his head turned by Porto last summer, and in January didn't really perform last season. You know, he's been linked with Porto again. He's been linked with Marseille. I think. I think he Encham in Incham himself, I think, thinks he's going to be on his way. So you'd imagine he'll go. 18 million was the figure that was talked about. That that seemed
0: <laughs> unrealistic. You, that seems like the kind of figure that Celtic should have snapped. Uh, Porto's handoff for if that was really actually available.
1: Yeah, well they've got nothing like that now I think it's fair to say after what was a an inconsistent season for Incham. I think we discussed on the podcast before Marseille don't have any money so they won't be paying 18 million for them. I think if they get Ten million or above—that would be an excellent bit of business for Celtic. Really, I think that you know, 10, ten million. I think they'd snap your hand off for that now. So you could say maybe they should have sold them last summer or in January. But you know, it's easy to say these things with hindsight.
0: This is a difficult one for Celtic, isn't it? Because they've built up such a good squad from the Rodgers era that it's very difficult to replace. Like for like. Let's not be around the bush here. David
1: Turnbull, very fine young player, but he isn't Olivier and Cham. Fair point. Yeah, certainly not yet. He isn't. Um, But then you think that maybe he's uh, been a a Scottish lad that he might stick around a little bit longer. I'd imagine the plan if you're buying a 19-year-old for three million is to eventually sell him on for a big profit but he's maybe someone that they think will be maybe more willing to stick around a bit longer maybe a little bit more willing to you know take a place on the bench and sort of be gradually eased into the team and then the hope I guess would be that he'll eventually reach that level of in charm I know they're slightly different players but to reach that kind of level of performance and I'd imagine that's the the rationale behind it and you know if you even if you can sell in charm for 8-9 million if you get Turnbull in as a not a like for like replacement but for 3 million you know, it's still a decent bit of business I think
0: yeah I just think Olivier and Cham was a Rolls Royce for a player when he, when he was at it when he was on form when he was putting his mind to it because you always got the sense that in some of those games maybe Olivier and Cham thought oh, this isn't really my cup of tea St Mirren away in a dirty December night you know Um in terms of what he is adding that Encham doesn't give, uh, you would look at his goals return this season, 15, four from outside the box and say, that's
1: what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've seen he's, he's good on both feet. There was one toward the end of the season, if you forgive me, I can't remember who they were playing against, but he had a shot with his right foot. It came off the bar, came back to him first time in the net with his left foot. So he's obviously very good on both feet. He scored a lot of goals. If you, you know, people have said, if you look at the, Sort of the XG, I know some people hate that statistic, but if you look at the XG, he is significantly outperforming that, so you might not expect him to get 15 goals next season. Of course, the, the alternative is that he's just so good that, like Messi and Ronaldo, he massively overperforms the statistics. I'm not, to be very clear, I'm not comparing Turnbull to Messi or Ronaldo, I'm just but saying that... That's that, the headline, Gaby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, but So, if someone is massively outperforming their expected goals like that, there are two things. It's an anomaly that they can't keep up, or they are so good a player that they sort of just exceed the, the metric. Yeah. So well, I guess we'll see what happens.
0: According to the statistics that I've seen today, 52% of his shots on target have been goals. That's pretty much, as you say, unsustainable unless you're even if you're Messi and Ronaldo, frankly. But um at the end of the day, you can't take away the fact that he has scored those fifteen goals and a in a team where you're going to be creating a lot more chances, perhaps he'll get even more. Now let's talk about Motherwell. Um, this is going to be an enormous cash injection for the club. They already posted, I think, a a fairly good uh, profit in their last accounts. I think it was a record profit, around 1.8 million. Seems like a club that's going in the right direction. You know, they've brought in the youngsters. They're starting to play a more attacking brand of football. Um, They've got a young, vibrant uh, guy who's running the club, CEO and
1: Alan Burrows. You think it's a club on the up? I think so. I think they're also they're looking to move toward fan ownership, aren't they, if I'm not mistaken? So yeah, I think... Uh, well, def- the Well
0: Society already is
1: taking a, a big part in the club, yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's underwritten by yes, someone, the, isn't it? Yeah.
0: So so there's a significant chunk, I understand, has been paid off now and will continue to be paid yes. off for this kind of money. Mm-hmm. But eventually, will yeah, going to complete Yeah, so they're, mo-
1: they're sort of moving yeah, yeah. further down that road. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think they're in a really good position. You look at they sort of, definitely the second half of last season, they brought in a lot of young players into that squad. They've obviously got a good youth development policy. The flip side to that, of course, is that hasty has gone to Rangers and Turnbull's gone to Celtic, which for a club the size of Motherwell is always going to be the issue if you have players who perform that well. There's two clubs who are always going to swoop in and poach those players. But no, I think I think they're, I think they're in a good position. I think their crowds have been fairly steady over the last few years. Uh, they've definitely improved. I mean, we remember five, six years ago when they were finishing second and getting into Europe. But then they had a few seasons kind of fighting against relegation. Whereas Robinson's come in, he got two cup finals in his first season. Maybe the football wasn't great, but, you know, they got the results in the last season, certainly the second half of the season. They tried to move away from that kind of more direct physical style that he had employed and they played a lot better football with some young players. So, yeah, no, I think they're, I think they're in a good position going into the new season especially with the injection of what we think will be what, at least £3 million that they'll get for Turnbull. Now, I'd imagine that won't all be reinvested into the squad, but yeah, I think they're certainly in a, in a good position. It's a big loss to lose Jake Hasty though, Turnbull,
0: and it looks like Chris Cadden as well. That is three very, very good players at this level going out of the team. So it's going to have to be a case of giving some of that money, as you see, back to the manager so he can make a difference in terms of the playing squad going forward. Because it will require a little bit of surgery, won't it?
1: Yeah, it definitely will. But I think there haven't been too many of his signings that he's made that you could say have turned out to be absolute disasters. There's some... You know, you get some hits and you get some misses, but I I remember under Mark McGee, there were a few signings where the who were just, you know, dreadful. I mean, there was one who, I can't remember the, the boy's name, I'm sure my fans will write in, I think he played one game and was never seen again, because McGee, genuine quote, said, he's not very good. Which, <laughs> you know, uh, and I don't think Robinson's had too many stinkers like that. Obviously, you know, a guy like Turnbull, I think, is... Uh, You know, he's a talent who doesn't come along very often for a team like Motherwell. You can't just go in the the youth team and pick out another Turnbull. No. But, so, it'd be very difficult to replace him in particular. But I don't think there should be too many concerns about Robinson being able to, you know, keep that team competitive. Do you get a sense that Celtic here have learned a bit
0: from the John McGinn pursuit? Because obviously... There was a sense that John McGinn was a fait accompli. It went on, it went on, it went on. And then at the very last minute, it felt like Aston Villa just nipped in and, and snapped him up. Now, we don't know, obviously, whether or not this deal has been signed and sealed yet. And that's still to be announced. However, we feel we hear that it's quite far down the line. Do you get a sense that
1: Celtic have, have learned from that experience? I think it's just further confirmation that Peter Lawwell does listen to this podcast because (laughs) I think, well, it might have been when you were away, Johnny, but we did uh, start a podcast telling Celtic, look, don't make the same mistake again. Just pay up the money if you want them. And that's clearly what they've gone and done. So uh, Celtic fans, you are welcome. (laughs) Well, another
0: player that's been linked with Celtic today is, uh, and I'm going to do the the Scottish pronunciation so you can do the correct one, Gabby. I'm not even going to try and do the French accent. Uh, Christopher Julien. Well, I kind of I did a hybrid there, do not I? He is a big, strapping, six-foot-five French centre-forward. He's played at youth level for under-20 level, I think, for France. 26 years old, played in Germany, and the rest for a couple of seasons of the rest of his career in uh, France. From what you've seen of this lad, do you think he could be, number one, uh, a, a, a realistic transfer option for Celtic, and number two, do you think he'd be a good signing for them?
1: Well, he obviously had a sort of good pedigree when he was younger. You mentioned him playing in that under twenty World Cup team. He was playing against the alongside the likes of Pogba and Zuma, Lucas Dean. You know, he, Couple he, of a decent players in yeah, there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think I think Yaya Sinogo might also been in there though. So you know, uh, it would balance it. Uh, he went to Germany. I mean, you said he played in Germany. I, don't, I think he I think played would be the wrong word. I think he got about one game. I think he mostly played. It was Freiburg, was it? It was yeah, that? I think he was mainly in the reserves. He went back to uh, league two with. Dijon, And he obviously cut the mustard there because he got to... Oh. Sorry, folks. Yeah, uh, he got a move to Toulouse. Uh, I think this, this he season... He had nothing to lose. Yeah. There you go.
0: <laughs> well, we're on the bad jokes.
1: Yes. Uh, I think this has been a difficult season for him from uh, what, what I've seen of him and what I've been reading today. Toulouse finished 16th uh, under the fantastically named Alan Casanova who is well, their manager, good. which is a good name. Uh, there was a 3-2 loss to Santetia in September 2018, where uh, the newspaper like keep put it that he had a very complicated evening <laughs> where two of the three goals were his fault. <laughs> um, he was actually dropped uh, in December because basically Casanova didn't feel that he was uh, contributing as much as he should be for his, his talent. And... There was a poll on a fan site around that time if the, asking if the fans wanted him back. 68% said no. So I think he's not had a great season, but I think there's no question that he is a good player. You don't get in that France under-20 team if you're not a good player. You don't get linked with the likes of Celtic, with the likes of Celtic Vigo, with teams like that if you're not a good player. And, uh, I think, from what I've seen of the Toulouse fan reaction, most of them... I'd, almost all of them aren't saying he's a bad player, just that he's had a bad season. And he's certainly uh, confident in himself because I looked up, he did a a wee interview in, I think it was March uh, this year, where he said that he dreams of playing in the Premier League and one day for Manchester United, which uh, is a bit of a... A lofty goal, I'd say. Well, but
0: I can tell you, I'm not surprised. I haven't seen his YouTube clips. He definitely looks like a Manchester United player. But then I did think that after I saw Carlos Pena on YouTube. So <laughs> we should probably yeah, put YouTube that is to one perhaps side.
1: not the best uh, the best guide for
0: these things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I saw Robin Barney, the French-Scots journalist, was talking about him and said that he did have a difficult start to the season. I think his head was turned a little bit. There was some speculation linking him with a move to the Premier League. Um, but apparently, towards the end of the season, he did come onto a game and he performed much more like the guy that the Toulouse yeah, fans have come Yeah, well,
1: that's when, when I was looking into what the kind of newspaper ratings were saying about him, was towards the end of the season, you know, where's this guy been all season? Where have these performances been? And maybe, as I said, he got dropped in December, maybe that kind of... Gave him, gave him a bit of a, a boot up the backside to really kind of screw the nut. I think it depends. I mean, they're talking about the, the fee for him, which I think was 8 to 10 million euros, which is a lot of money. You know, if it was 10 million euros, 10 million, Euro, million pounds, whatever, that'd be Celtic's record transfer fee. Are they going to be spending a record transfer fee on a 26-year-old defender yeah. from Toulouse? I mean, yeah, that would be, be a big gamble, I think. Uh, but he'd obviously, physically, I think be well suited to the Premier League's uh, premiership. Apologies. He's six foot... You're f- never going to love that one, down. No, And going
0: to be you. Your name is Muck on Twitter now. I know, I know.
1: That. I'm going to be getting slagged off on fan forums all over the place. Yeah, It's only a couple of people that get really, really hit up about that. <laughs> it's one of my pet peeves on
0: Twitter, to be honest. But right. never mind. Um, yeah, you're talking about the fee there, Gaby, and, and I do agree with you that 10 million seems an awful lot. If eh, what it does more than anything else, I suppose, is confirm that Celtic are looking for another centre-half... They've got Ayer in there at the moment. They've got um, Simonovic. Both are good players at SPFL level. We know that. Potential for Benkovic coming back. Where do you think Celtic will see whatever centre-half they're looking to bring in as fitting into this team? Do you think they will be looking for someone to partner Ayer? Do you think Neil Lennon will see someone else as his first-choice centre-half? Because he does like Simonovic. We know that. But I would have thought, based on Ayers' performances so far, uh, the last couple of years, that the, Lennon would definitely want to keep him in the team, develop him, and look to sell this guy on for a massive fee in the years ahead. Because for me, there's very few centre halves that have the skill set that he does, the ability to bring the ball out of defence, uh, to pick a pass, the physical size. I think he's six foot six. He's, he's enormous, and uh, I think he's improved vastly as a defender.
1: Yeah, I think he's the best defender I've seen in Scotland since Van Dijk, uh, which I know is big praise, but he's a he's a similar type of player. You know, he's a big guy, he's a strong guy, but he does have that ability on the ball. He can carry out defence, as I think people know by now. I'm a Kamarnock fan. He was on loan at Kelly for six months, played at centre-back. You know, he's a class act. He he was, at that time, I think he was 19, he made a few mistakes, but you could see he was just, this is a guy who's going to go on to be a real top player. So I think he, I think he's the one in that Celtic back line who you can't. You've got to build around him, I think I think he's a really, really talented player. Because he's a converted midfielder and that move to
0: Colmark, that was the first time he'd properly been played at centre-half. So you, you had to expect that, but what you've seen more and more over the last, I think six months especially, is a development of him as a central defender. There was that moment against Rangers where he made that stunning tackle in the last minute of the 2-1 game at Parkhead, effectively sealed the league. And you could see how much it meant to him, just that pure defensive nous and the joy of that moment. It was a little bit reminiscent of, you know, the UV players whenever they make a tackle yeah. or whatever, they, they come together and celebrate it like a mini goal. Um, but that for me showed you, yeah, this guy is now a defender. He's no longer that converted midfield player.
1: Yeah, no, as, as, as I said, I, th- I think he'll go for big, big money probably to the Premier League one day. And I th- I say I think he's the best defender I've seen in Scotland since Van Dijk was up here and Dare I say, I think that Van Dyke when he first came to Celtic, wasn't the player Ayer is now. I don't think. I'm not saying that Ayer will necessarily go on to be a £100 million defender. But I think at this stage in his development, he's probably ahead of where Van Dyke was when he was at Celtic. £80 million. Yeah, £80 million, yeah. <laughs> Right, we're going to move on to some comments made by Ian
0: Maxwell yesterday. Of course, it was the SFA's AGM. And uh, Rod Petrie had been announced as the new president of the SFA, taking over from Alan McRae. With the vice president, pre- with the vice president becoming uh, Mike Mulraney of Alloa. Um, number of things to discuss. Number of things coming out of these interviews. Uh, the first one, Gaby, that we want to look at is that the cup final this year will be held two weeks before the end of the season to allow Hamden's transformation for Euro 2020. Now, normally we call it the showpiece, the the big event of the Scottish football calendar. Is it going to be somehow diminished because it isn't that final game of the season, or do you think this is a
1: sensible decision given what's going to take place in the summer? I mean, I don't quite understand how it, you need a month to get Hamden ready for Euro 2020. I mean, surely it's just a case of changing the billboards and some of the uh, infrastructure, not the infrastructure, the stuff around the stadium. The branding is what I'm trying to say, the branding right. around the place. Because, you know, you're not doing any sort of actual physical work on the stadium. So I don't quite understand that. I think I think it's a shame not to have the Scottish Cup final be the sort of uh, curtain the opposite of a curtain raiser, the curtain downer of the season. <laughs> we <laughs> know what you mean. Yeah, we, you know what I mean. Obviously this year, the second leg of the Premiership playoff final was the day after, but this time it's going to be two weeks after the Scottish Cup final. I, I think it's a bit of a shame not to have, you know, the league season finishes and then you look ahead to the next Saturday, you get the Scottish Cup final. You know, the the Saturday after the league finishes, that's when the Cup final is, Hamden. Uh, I think that's a bit of a shame.
0: I agree with that. Um, However, I do see a growing case to be made that the Scottish Cup final should be a little bit closer to the end of the season. More and more, we're seeing that teams are having to come back very early for their European qualifiers. And I think to have a really good chance at qualifying through the initial stages of these tournaments, but to also get a good pre-season under your belt and also get a break, I think there is an argument to finish that season as close to the bone as possible and given that you have to wait a full week and it's often the clubs that are at the sharp end of that European competition um, that are playing there's an argument to say well maybe can we look at a way of just bringing that tighter into the season it's a difficult one because I do understand that, that the element of it being a showpiece is important But perhaps more important is our team's performances in European football because we know what that can bring to the Scottish game in general. It brings finance, it brings um, kudos, uh,
1: it brings self respect. So, you said you take my point? Yeah, I take your point. But then I suppose if you move it forward, then you're having, you know, it's the same number of matches, it's just a more sort of intense time period. So then the question becomes and I'm not a sports scientist, I don't know what's better. Is it better to have. A sort of longer recover periods between matches and less time off in the summer, or is it better to have sort of that in, a more intense uh, period of fixtures and a longer break? I genuinely don't know.
0: Yeah, it's a difficult one. It'd be an interesting one to to discuss in detail with someone, as you say, who's from uh, that kind of background, because you look at someone like Callum McGregor was talking at the uh, just in the last couple of days after the Scotland game about having maybe getting maybe, and he was he was saying it in such a flippant way, I might get a week. Um, because of the the amount of games he's had to play right up until the very end of the season with the Scottish Cup final and coming away with Scotland and then before he knows it he's back for these qualifiers that, that can't be right there has to be a solution and I know that Celtic and Celtic fans will say but that means that we're at the sharp end of the competition which is where we want to be and that's true but at the same time there is an effect on players in the long term we've seen that to an extent I think with Keaton Tierney I think that's uh, it's a common agreement on that now that that he's played an, uh, an awful lot of football and you would hope that wouldn't happen to someone as talented as Callum McGregor
1: yeah you would I think he would it was at 69 games he played this season I think you know even not being a sports scientist <laughs> you, you can probably agree that you know a guy a sort of youngish player shouldn't be playing 69 games in a season then getting a week off and then being right back for pre-season training but I think that's just the way football's going it just never seems to stop now even this summer when there isn't a tournament on you've seen Scotland. Just played there. We've had the Nations League. I think there's still qualifiers for other nations going on this week. And then the Celtic Rangers, Aberdeen, Kelly, they'll be back in training at the end of the month because they're in the Europa League qualifiers. Yeah. So
0: Perhaps we've answered one of our own questions from earlier on about David Turnbull. Perhaps that's part of the thing, to give Callum McGregor a little bit of uh, uh, respite. From the volume of games he's, he's had to play, you've got another player who can play in that Yeah, that's a position.
1: good point. We accidentally got around to there.
0: Yes, uh, we got there in the end. You know, It was all very well planned. Um, again, a lot more <laughs> to discuss from these interviews. Um, not least the the incredible comments from uh, Mr. Maxwell regarding uh, Rod Petrie and Mike Mulraney, describing them as uh, the raging bull and charging rhino of the SFA in the
1: boardroom. Yeah, well, I'm sure they needed that fighting spirit <laughs> to be elected unopposed, both of them. <laughs> I mean, that's just, uh, Rod Petrie, I've never looked at that man and thought, Raging Bull, uh, Robert De Niro or whatever.
0: Well, he, he did talk about the need to
1: humanise uh, Rod Petrie. I mean, so so he said he wanted to humanise him and then immediately compared him to an animal. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's so it's just,
1: it's an odd tactic. It's not a joined up strategy, no, really. I,
0: I suspect that that wasn't part of the briefing with the, the media guys prior sure. to the event. But Do you think there's an issue with regards to the fact that Petrie didn't speak to the press? Is that, is that a bad precedent to set on your first day? Um, you come into this job, you're the, the figurehead for Scottish football and you won't even take any questions. You'll take some photographs, um, but you won't take any questions on what your vision is for the, the grand plans of the Scottish game going forward.
1: Yeah, well, I think it doesn't help with the issue of transparency, which I think a lot of people is the issue. A lot of people have with the SFA. As I said, both he and Mulroney were elected unopposed. No one ran against them. Now, the SFA would say and have said, well, people could have run against them. Obviously, you have to. There are certain rules about who can run, so not just anyone can run against them. But then to then do that and then basically just refuse to speak to the media the next day, it really does. It's not good optics. It, whatever the rights and wrongs of the situation are, whether people are right or wrong to say that there should be more transparency, it isn't a good look.
0: No. Optics, um, I always think of those, uh, the, the Bacardi and Jack Daniels you see in pubs. Is that, that, is that optics?
1: Um, no, and I think you might be an alcoholic. <laughs>
0: it's possible. Is there a, a case that this role is more of a, a personality that deals with FIFA, deals with UEFA, it's the sort of FIFA, European... UEFA
1: and their presidents who were also elected on a post. <laughs> is that those ones, yeah?
0: Listen, we're going to put the, 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 the democracy element to one side, I 100%. It's a, very, it's a very authoritarian <laughs> thing to say, Johnny. <laughs> we're going to put the democracy element to one side and we're going to park that. I 100% agree with you on that, but let's just talk about why the SFE do this and why this role is the way it is. You've got to assume that Mike Mulraney will be the next... SFA president this yes. thing stands and then the guy that is his vice president will be the next SFA president after that um, is this because there's a there's a sort of there's an element of the role where you're working in the corridors of power at FIFA and the UEFA, and UEFA where you need to be someone who understands um, the, the way European football and world football works it might we might not like the way it works but is that not part of it well, uh, yes, it probably is part of it, but then that... So if you elect someone that doesn't understand the way it works, who is not steeped in these this culture, it's very difficult for them to go in and actually be able to do the job properly. Yeah, but
1: if we don't like the culture at FIFA, and I think we don't, then if you elect people steeped in that culture, then how could you ever possibly hope to change that culture? Now, I know Scotland in itself, as a small nation, as one member of FIFA, can't change It's such a a huge organisation, but if you're electing people you know essentially bureaucrats to do the same thing over and over again that as you said there's a sort of succession plan like Sith Lords and Star Wars or whatever <laughs> you know um, I don't see how and again I mean you know for the concerns that fans have about Well, the way football is run in general. We talked about the European Super League proposal yesterday. We talked about the IFAB rule changes uh, the other day. You know, fans, I think, feel that all governing bodies, the SFA, FIFA, UEFA, whoever it might be, are not accountable to them. And I think the electing... I'm not having to go at Rod Petrie personally. I've never met the man. Um, But electing people who, at least from the outside, seem to be of that ilk, I don't think helps. Uh, fans to feel that their interests are being represented in the game and obviously the game at its core really is about the people who watch it isn't it so
0: how would you change the sfa then in terms of the president obviously with regards to the chief executive it's slightly different because you're hiring somebody who's a professional to be able to do that job who has to have a cv that can back up the fact they can do the job it's slightly different the president is more of a of a um figurehead so how would you go about doing that? If you could go in with your magic wand and your earshot charm and change things immediately, how would you do it?
1: I'd like to see, I mean, I think it says in the Articles of Association that to be president you have to have had two of the last five years on one of the boards of the SFA or to be working in quote, an official capacity for a recognised football body. I'd like to see that kind of move because that is essentially just enshrining sort of insiderism, really, isn't it? I'd like to see more probably ex pros involved, maybe you know, former heads of the players' union, because if you look at the people who are on that board, none of them are ex footballers. No, I'm not saying that well, just-
0: uh, Maxwell's an ex footballer
1: Maxwell, okay, right. Okay, I'll, I'll, with the exception of Maxwell... It's, it's rare. I'll give you that. Yeah, like Gordon rare. Smith. We've had
0: Maxwell. That, that that's the only two that I, I can think of. Yeah,
1: and uh, yeah. So I'm um, not necessarily just the the, the present as well, but you know the the, the general sort of upper yeah. echelons. I think ex footballers, ex managers are underrepresented. Now, I'm not saying it should all be them because they don't necessarily know how to run the financial side of things. You need professionals doing that, but I think there should be more representation for people who have actually played the game and might have some ideas about you know how better to represent players how better you know player safety all those kind of things I think I'd like to see more of that I'd like to see more I don't I'm not entirely sure. I'd like to see more sort of democratisation you know each club obviously gets a vote on things I'd like to see if you could maybe somehow make it that uh, you know, maybe clubs that are fan owned or moving towards fan owned, like Motherwell, could their fans get a vote on what they? Let's do, have a
0: presidential I mean? style election where everyone in Scotland who has a season ticket gets a vote. How about that? Well, why not? Well, let's. It'd be great for us. Uh, give I us loads to write about.
1: Well, I, I don't. I don't see. I don't see why. I don't. I mean, you, you know, you say it is... I mean, obviously that might be slightly unworkable, but I don't see why not. I don't see why. Uh, president of the SFA Shouldn't have to go out And try and appeal To Scottish football fans And say here is my platform Here's what I'm going to do Vote for me I don't see why I don't see why That would be a ridiculous Thing to happen Okay well Gaby Mackay
0: He's uh, set the world to rights He's set the plan Forward for the SFA If they should decide To uh, listen to this podcast Like Peter Lowell does Yeah well I'm sure He'll pass it on to them. <laughs> Um, okay that's all from us today we will be back tomorrow on friday with another podcast before 4 p.m just in time for your daily commute uh, you can keep up to date with all the action as it happens in terms of the, the body politic of scottish football on www.footballscotland.co.uk you can follow us on twitter at football underscore scott or on our facebook page by just typing our name into the search bar until tomorrow thanks for listening